Have you ever been so thirsty that you would do almost anything for a drink? One summer, I worked at Glacier National Park. I was teaching school during the year, and I was working a summer job at Glacier in Montana. And it was this summer that I discovered the joys of hiking, hiking. The only way to see the, most of the sights and incredible beauty of Glacier Park was to pack a lunch, tow a trail cup, put on your hiking boots, and walk, walk. I experienced a lot of things that summer, scary grizzly bear sightings by some other people in the park, 20-mile hikes, uh, an actual mountain climb, mountain goats, and icy glacial lakes, scenery unimagined before, mountain streams and waterfalls so clear and clean that we drank directly out of them. And one interesting experience I never really had before, thirst. I mean, real, real thirst. Back then, the water up high coming off the glaciers and snowmelt was pure and clean. It was safe to drink. We never packed a canteen or bottled water. We would just bring a trail cup, an aluminum cup with a hook that attached to our belt. And we got thirsty, we'd stop at a waterfall or a creek along the trail and dip the cup, drink the best tasting ice cold water you've ever tasted. Never forget that. Every hiking trail I took had multiple waterfalls and creek crossings, so we always had an abundance of drinking water. Then I took this one particular hike, a 27-mile hike. It started with a steep incline for five miles, straight up, and then once at the top, there was a 17-mile horseshoe along this, this peak, this high mountain ridge where you could see stunning views of the area, followed by a five-mile descent down to the trailhead. What someone failed to tell us was that there was little water source on this hike. It was a hot sunny day and about 10 miles into the hike, we all began to get very thirsty. I began to picture the old classic movies, Lost in the Desert, No Wander, wandering, hallucinating, seeing mirages, passing the skeletal remains of past hikers who also died of thirst. Thirst. Literally, it was the first time I really experienced real thirst. All 10 of us in this hike thought we were going to die. We just did. Then we arrived at a place. It was a high rock wall to our right and a, a cliff down to the left, a narrow passageway. And down this rock wall was a trickle of water coming from an unseen source high above. The water was crystal clear and ice cold. There was one place, only one, on this rock wall where we could place our trail cup where the water could trickle in and slowly, very, very slowly, fill the cup with ice-cold water. Ice-cold water filling our cups one at a time, all ten of us. We were there a long, a long time. But our thirst was quenched, and, and we lived to tell about it. Well, today we're going to talk about thirst. Don't everybody make a run for the drinking fountain. Just, just saying. You can sip your water if you have a water bottle. That's fine. We're going to talk about thirst and water. Jesus performed many miracles during his life on earth. 
One of the more dramatic miracles was the quenching of thirst. And we're going to talk about that today. Jesus shows up at a well and meets a woman, and they talk about thirst and water. And I'd like us to join them on video. Last Salome's bread last night. Master, we need to go into town for food. We can use the gold left for us at the fountain. Very well. There's a town about a mile west. Sicar. You all go. I'll wait here. Someone should stay with you. In case. I'm all right. Meet me at that well when you come back. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out alone in the heat. So you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would, except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. 
prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those... Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage, and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him, because he was the only truly godly man you've been with, but you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things. Because you are the Christ. Everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> Hey, wait! You want it? You want it?
You forgot your um. Fancy, you man! You told me everything I ever did. says in John 4.39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. An interesting story with two main characters, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. What do we learn from this story? We're going to look at lessons from the well. Lessons from the well. The first lesson is that Jesus accepted the woman exactly as she was. Jesus accepted this woman exactly as she was. Now, today's world, we have the political correctness police, whose job is to ensure that we treat everyone with equal respect, regardless of background or standing. The basic principle behind political correctness is that all people are equal, all points of view are equally valid, and we should not discriminate on the basis of race, religion, gender, age, or et cetera. And of course, we have observed political correctness taken to the extreme today. That's a different topic, different time. But in New Testament Israel, there was no such thing as political correctness. A man would almost never speak to a woman. A rabbi, which was what Jesus was, would most certainly never speak to an immoral woman, such as this one. And a Jew would never associate in any way with a Samaritan, which this woman was. Samaritans were the product of interracial marriages, only half or part Jew. Therefore, the Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans. And this had much to do with their religion as they justified their racial prejudice. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus came to establish a new order of things. He accepted people exactly as they were, unconditionally. He looked past the externals and saw the heart the real person. Yes, he, he could see all the faults and the fears. He could see the shortcomings, the value. He saw the broken people, and he saw what broke them and what they could become once they were fixed. And you know, Jesus is the same today. Jesus accepts us, you and me, exactly as we are. It's not a matter of getting cleaned up and putting all the pieces together first. Then Jesus accepts us. We come to Jesus with all the broken pieces of our life and say, this is all I got. Can, can you fix it? Can you fix it? This woman had been through incredible pain, five marriages and five divorces. And in that day, women had absolutely no right. If the man decided to divorce them, they were on the street her predicament. Anyone here who has experienced the pain of divorce can understand the pain, the, the rejection, and the brokenness. But Jesus didn't come to the strong and the self-satisfied. He came to the broken, the hungry, the empty, 
and yes, the thirsty. Then he accepted them exactly as they were. Jesus did not condemn her. He didn't point the finger. He didn't demean her. He didn't say, you are really messed up. She knew. She knew she was messed up. No one needed to tell her that. Now, most people today are very aware of their shortcomings. We don't show other people or let other people see it, especially in church. But Jesus knows. Jesus sees And Jesus accepts us just as we are. Most people would go to the well late in the day when it was cool. But this woman came while it was still hot. Because she didn't want to run into anyone that might condemn her and point the finger and accuse her. Reminding her of her place. Jesus accepts the woman. Exactly as she is. The second lesson from the well is Jesus shared a common concern. A common concern. And this this common concern happened to be thirst. The physical need for water. Almost sounds too, too simple. Jesus was God and man. Because he was also a human being, he experienced thirst. He experienced every human need that we experience. Verse 6 says Jesus was tired. It says Jesus was thirsty. And I don't know about you. I like having a God who walked in my shoes. Walked in my shoes. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to experience pain, both physical pain and emotional pain. He knows what it's like to be discouraged. He knows what it's like to be accused unjustly. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. He knows what it's like to go on trial. He knows what it's like to be found guilty even though he's innocent. He knows what it's like to be totally, utterly alone. He knows what it's like to be deserted by his Father God. He knows what it's like to die. We don't have a God who cannot relate. We don't have a God who cannot understand. We have a God who can identify and relate, who understands. A God who shares our common needs, our concerns. I don't know about you. I, I need a God like that. And that is Jesus. But Jesus has more to offer this woman than just identification with her needs. He moves beyond the physical need of the moment, thirst, to talk about a much deeper need, a thirst of the soul, an internal thirst. The third lesson from the well is Jesus offered the woman living water. Now, what does that mean, living water? The most obvious need was physical thirst. That could be quenched with water, but it was temporary. We just get thirsty again. Even if we drink Gatorade or vitamin water, Rockstar, it doesn't matter. We always yet thirsty again. Jesus is addressing a far more profound and a far deeper need, a thirst that cannot be quenched with anything physical. It's a thirst for God, a thirst for God. Have you ever tried to quench your thirst with a liquid that just didn't seem to work, hot, 
day, you just keep drinking water, you keep drinking, and it just never seems to go away. You still feel thirsty. Well, you know, people do that all the time. They want to feel good, so they buy new clothes. They want security, so they put more money in the bank. They want love, so they try to find it in a sexual experience. They want status, so they buy a new car. They want acceptance, so they change their appearance or lose weight. But somehow, the thirst that they have is never quenched. It returns again and again and again. The philosopher Pascal says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every person that can be filled only with God himself. A God-created thirst that can only be quenched with God. Verse 13, Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. In fact, your thirst will be so quenched that it will overflow like a spring of water to quench the thirst of everybody around you. We cannot quench spiritual thirst or spiritual longing with physical water or physical things. Our spiritual thirst, our deepest longings must be quenched with spiritual things, a spiritual being with God. And Jesus said in this passage, God is spirit, God is spirit. His worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain all things to us. And Jesus said, that would be me in so many words. That would be me, or I who speak to you am he. The fourth lesson from the well, Jesus quenched her thirst when she believed. Belief. This woman believed he was the Messiah. 39 to 42, he says, we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. It was belief that brought that living water. It was belief that quenched her thirst it was belief in Jesus that filled her deepest longings. And she was so full, she couldn't keep it in. I love the picture of her running, running down the road. He told me everything I've ever done, everything I am. She wanted to tell the whole town. When's the last time you were so excited about something you had to tell the whole town? You had your first grandchild, your first baby, Josh and Kristen? Yeah, you got to tell everybody. Everybody has to know about the, the good news. This was a major, major transformation. There had to be incredible change for the townspeople who knew this woman to have believed also. Belief in Jesus. Now, belief is not just an intellectual acknowledgement of sep set of propositions and facts. Belief is inseparable from actions. Actions of trust placing confidence in, submitting to the lordship and the control of Jesus himself. Belief is a decision to submit with mind, will, and emotions to the leadership of Jesus, no matter what circumstance we're facing. Do I believe enough to trust Jesus? It means admitting our own shortcomings, our sins, our own inability to quench our own thirst. Belief in Jesus means accepting his unconditional love and accepting his forgiveness. This woman said, he told me everything I ever did. 
God can tell you and me everything we ever did. And for all of us, that probably wouldn't be very pretty. But he loves us unconditionally. And he forgives us. Then he promises to fill, to quench our insatiable thirst. Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? What are you feeling? Are you feeling empty? Are you feeling thirsty? Maybe just a vague sense of longing or emptiness. Even Christians can get caught up in the activity of trying to to quench a spiritual thirst for God with other things. So many distractions. Maybe it's money or activity, another human being, a goal, an ambition, a job, a project, maybe a possession. And still thirsty. Thirsty. The fifth lesson from the well, Jesus transformed the woman's life. True belief in Jesus will transform our lives and the lives of the people in this city that we call Eau Claire. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. New means new. New means new. That's exactly what it means. A new creation. Brand new. And these people of the town believed it for themselves. Each person in this story in the town had a personal encounter that caused them to believe and be transformed. A personal encounter themselves. Don't just take someone else's word for it. Don't count on your parents' faith. You need faith. Don't count on the faith of your spouse. You need faith. Don't rely on the faith of friends or family. What about you? Is your personal relationship with God, with Jesus, personal? Because that's what counts. Personalize it. Because you can experience this as well. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty today? Do you have a longing inside that has never been filled? Jesus came to bring the living water. He said, drink the living water, believe in Jesus, receive him as your Savior and Lord. And you will never thirst again. And if you are already a believer, your mission is what Jesus' mission was. To accept people exactly as they are. Find, find a common concern. Offer people the living water, Jesus. So Jesus can quench their thirst and transform their lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us a real-life example of a life change. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts today as we know that you desire us to be filled with you. And I pray, God, that you will speak to us about all the pools that we drink from, all the things that we try to give us meaning and and to quench our thirst and that our thirst would be quenched only by you. And if anybody's here this morning that has never believed in you, that they would now place their confidence and trust in you. We give ourselves to you now. And we pray this in Jesus' name.